Take your Bible, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 13 and 17 today as we talk about being a servant to those in authority. I remember back in the 60s, I used to see a bumper sticker, question authority. And it seems like from that point on, uh, skepticism, cynicism has just continued to grow and as we face a lot of division in our country. And so today we want to look at the purpose of authority, why we're to follow those in authority over us, and uh, allude a little bit, but not get in detail about you know, when it's improper to continue to follow those in authority if they violate scripture and God's laws as well. But just to remind yourself from last week, we looked at earlier in this chapter, and there were four characteristics that were descriptions of the nation of Israel, but also for us as the church, that we are a chosen people, that we are a holy nation, that we are a royal priesthood, and we are possessed by God. And Peter said the purpose for knowing that is so that we can proclaim the excellencies of him. And that word proclaim, and if you remember last week, I said meant to advertise, to publish, publish, to let people know all the attributes of who God is. And we do that by being a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, and understanding that we are possessed by God. How many of you here have ever played in a band or an orchestra? Band or orchestra? I played in both. I played clarinet in an orchestra. We played bassoon, which was basically the third trombone part. And, uh, but one of the things that's interesting when you play in a band or an orchestra, you show up for practice. What if the woodwinds decide to play some different song than the trombone players like Dennis over here? There'd be a lot of dissension, right? What if uh, they didn't want to play the same parts? What if everybody just did whatever they wanted to do? Our standard practice when we showed up for band was to warm up our instruments and then uh, someone would play the piano uh, middle C and we'd all tune our instruments. But then the conductor would come out and then he would tell us, this is what we're gonna play, this is when it's gonna start, I'll point to the trumpets when it's their turn and so on. It would be utterly chaos if there wasn't somebody who's an authority. And the good thing is, is that you wouldn't have a lot of dissonant sound you would have a harmonious, beautiful piece of music because the conductor is the one who is in charge. And that's what it looks like for us as believers. By submitting to those in authority, it's to bring about a beautiful thing, a beautiful way to bring order to our civilization and to carry out God's kingdom work. So if you have your Bible open to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. So let's unwrap these scriptures to get to the meat of what they mean and how they apply to our lives here in 2021. First of all, in your outline, Christ followers are to submit to every human authority. Christ followers are to submit to every human authority. 
I'll read again verses 13 and 14 for emphasis. Repetition is good. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as said by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Let's look at some of the meanings of these words and phrases in this verse and then we'll put it all together. First of all, subject or submission means to arrange in a military fashion under the supervision and authority of a commander. To arrange in a military fashion under the supervision and the authority of a commander. It also means to put oneself in an attitude of submission. And submission begins with an attitude. You can submit without a willful attitude, but with God, it begins with the attitude. Some Old Testament examples in Deuteronomy chapter 17. It says, when you come to the, <clears throat> excuse me, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, <clears throat> and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. So God gives a command to them as to what to do and how to set up the authority. Believers are to live with a humble and submissive attitude in the midst of a hostile, godless, and slandering society. Be subject here means to what or whom? God says in every, to every human institution. No exception here. The word translated institution or ordinance in the authorized version simply means creation or institution. It does not refer to each individual law, but to the institutions that make and enforce the laws. It is possible to submit to institutions and still disobey the laws. For example, when Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1, he refused to eat the king's diet because it would violate his conscience, his religious beliefs. And so uh, they allowed him, and he talked to the guard, and they allowed him to eat vegetables and drink water for 10 days and then come back and evaluate the situation. But notice through that that Daniel was not a rebel. He was careful not to embarrass the official in charge or get him into trouble, and yet they still stood their ground. They glorified God and at the same time, honored the authority of the king. Think about Peter, the apostle Peter and others. He and John were out preaching, they got arrested and they stood before the religious leaders who commanded them not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And they said, it's better to obey God than to obey man. But notice that they did not tear down, they did not attempt to overthrow the leadership of that time. They did everything they could to submit to the authority except for when it came to the, the issue of disobeying God's commands. We're to respect the office even if we don't respect the character or decisions of the person who's in that position of authority. Let me say that again. We are to respect the office even if we don't respect the character or decisions of the person who is in that position of authority. Why? Because God has placed them there. God instituted their leadership at that time. You and I, we are to demonstrate godly characteristics and attitudes and qualities as we encourage, as we work with, as we minister to those who are our bosses, our authorities. So I brought an umbrella today just to give you a, a little bit of an illustration and I've shared this before, but I think it's important we understand that we need to be under God's authority. The umbrella represents God and those he's placed 
in authority. What if a father and a mother, and they have children, and the children decide to rebel the authority of the parents? They step out from the protection and the provision of the umbrella. And as long as they follow the authority that God has placed in them, they are under God's umbrella of protection and authority. And that's the picture, that's the example here that God is giving to us here as we follow those who are leading us. Our magistrates, our leaders, whether they be in the workplace, and we're going to describe all those things here in just a moment. But Peter uses the government first to describe our approach, approach to those in authority and who they are. Just a reminder, God created three institutions in the Bible we see. First of all, the family unit in Genesis chapter 2, when Adam and Eve were created, and then they procreated and had children. We see the family. Then in Genesis 11, many people point to the Tower of Babel as the installment of the government, as they were scattered. They were given languages. They started their own civilizations, and they set up their uh, authority systems for these different uh, groups of people. And then we see in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus saying that he would build the church upon himself. And then it gave birth at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, as we've been studying in our Connect group. So the first major minor point under this uh, major point is government. Government. Paul in Romans 13 and other passages bring home this idea of submitting to those in government authority and all that that involves. Take your Bible, you can put your finger there, turn over to Romans 13. You're very familiar with this passage. We've read it numerous times. You probably have studied it, but just as a reminder, we'll read the first four verses of Romans 13. What is the purpose of government? And Paul lays it out in the inspired word of God. In Romans 13, it says, let every person, verse one, be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Once a year, I get to go to Des Moines and I get to pray with um, our uh, representatives there in the Capitol. And I remind them before we pray that I'm thankful that they are the servants of God and that we are praying for them to seek God for wisdom. And that's who they truly are. They serve the people, but they serve God ultimately. Note the purposes of God's government here in these verses, Romans 13, to restrain evil, to promote the public good, to punish wrongdoing. Jesus said to Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane to put away his sword. Remember when they came to arrest Jesus and Peter, the vigilante, pulls out his sword and he cuts off Malchus' ear and Jesus heals the ear at the time. But he says, put away the sword because it's up to the Roman government that we are submitting to to make the decision on capital punishment and crimes and things like that. What was the Roman Empire like when Paul penned these words in Romans 13? The Roman Empire was filled with all kinds of immorality. Homosexuality, adultery, debauchery, orgies were going on, infanticide. 
government corruption, the abuse of women, violence, and very soon after he wrote these words, and probably during the time, Christian persecution. The important thing to know is that God did not tell the believers not to submit to the government officials when they're bad, corrupt, or do things that are harmful to society and not best for the common good. We will share later that if we are to obey God above man and man's laws, if man's laws violate God's scriptures, that's true. But again, to repeat, we are to respect the office, even if we don't respect the character or the decisions of the person who's in that position of authority. There's been a lot of discussion surrounding the COVID pandemic and how to deal with that. And one of the things that comes out is, what's the difference between laws and mandates? Laws and mandates. So I did some research on that. And a law and a mandate have the same power to be enforced. The only difference is how they come to be. A law is passed by a Senate and a House. It's signed into law by a governor. But a mandate is made by the governor with the power given to them by the legislature in a state of emergency. So it has to be spelled out. But overall, a mandate has the same effect as a law. Health officials in the state have said everyone must comply with the governor's mandate, which makes the mandate enforceable by health officers and police. So this is how some view a mandate versus a law. And we need to do our part to support those who make laws and mandates, whether we agree with them or not. We are to be subject to those in authority. Think of the school, the school. This means your teachers, your principals, and administrators that are over you at any level of your educational life. This means your coaches that you have at school on the athletic fields. The school board is subject in our country to the people in that school district. School board elections are coming up. The best thing we can do is pray for them and vote for who God prompts us to vote for. And it's important, especially this year, November 2nd, to vote. I was on a Zoom call with the mayor and the uh, superintendent of Bettendorf Schools and a high-up administrator in Pleasant Valley School District, and they begged us to pray for these school board elections coming up and the tension and the pressure that they're facing from from the parents as well. There's been a lot of interaction across our country with parents of school-aged children and school boards and administrators over two key issues, transgender rights and critical race theory being taught. In the state of Iowa, critical race theory cannot be taught in the public schools. According to the Des Moines Register, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds signed a new law that she said will target the teaching of CRT and other concepts in government diversity trainings and classroom curriculum. She said, and I quote, critical race theories about labels and stereotypes, not education. It teaches kids that we should judge others based on race, gender, or sexual identity, rather than the content of someone's character. I'm proud to have worked with the legislature to promote learning, not discriminatory indoctrination. Critical race theory is a decades-long legal theory that, according to the Des Moines Register, examines how slavery's legacy continues to influence American society and is not specifically named in the new legislation. But the law would ban teaching certain concepts, such as the US or Iowa, is a systemic racist country. So that's Des Moines Register saying that. Now, wherever you land on that issue, I just bring that up to say that it is the law of our state. And uh, the schools are, thankfully, according to these administrators, upholding those laws. 
Then we think of the workplace. The workplace, bosses that God puts over us, our immediate supervisor, those who are above him or her in authority. We think of the home. We talked a little bit about that. God places the husband as the ultimate authority figure who will stand before God and answer for how he treated his wife and kids. He will answer for how he influenced their exposure to God's word and their spiritual growth and to make them responsible citizens in the country that they are and to be independent and to be able to uh, move out and live on their own. No parent is perfect, but the husband along with the wife are to make the decisions that are best for their family unit. And as we talked about the umbrella illustration, to have the husband be the one that holds the umbrella and carries the authority. And then there's the church, the church. God has ordained elders, deacons, deaconesses to be an authority over the local body of believers. In our case, the elders are elected. The deacons and deaconesses are appointed by the elders to lead us spiritually, but also to make sure that we're doing best business practices with the state of Iowa and the federal government. Well, now that we've looked very briefly at the various institutions set up by God and man, let's look back at verse 13 of 1 Peter 2. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Notice that phrase there in verse 13, for the Lord's sake. He's giving reasons to submit. Because as we submit to those in authority, no matter how they treat us, we are ultimately submitting to the Lord. And we are commanded here to obey. Specifically in verse 13, the emperor, the supreme authority of the country you live in, whether that be a monarchy or a dictatorship. He goes on to say even the local authorities, the governor he mentions here is sent by the ruling government. The purpose here is to punish those who are doing wrong those who are breaking laws, those who are hurting people and destroying property. But the government must respect the citizens and support those who are following and obeying. He will go on to say later on, Peter will, that we do this out of the will of God and because we are the slaves of God. We'll see in a few moments. Well, the church has flourished and thrived in any kind of government. Think about this. I, read, I looked this up. Reach a village estimates that in China, there are 1.4 billion people, the largest population mass of any country in the world. 7.5% are evangelical Christians. That adds up to just over 106 billion people. Now think about that, that's in a country that's suppressing and putting down the freedom to worship. And they're thriving, they're growing very quickly. Peter will go on when we study more of this chapter, our response and practical ways to submit to these authorities we've discussed. And we'll look at more of those in two weeks as we continue on in this chapter. But as I said in the announcements, we have Greg Baker here, and he's going to speak specifically to how the church and the government work hand in hand. Well, in summary at this point, the application, we serve God when we submit to those in authority that he's placed over us. When you simply follow your boss, when you simply obey your teacher as a student in the classroom, when you simply do as you're told to do by an authority figure, you are translating your praise to God because you're obeying God through that person 
that God has placed over you? What about those who criticize or persecute, even torture Christians for sharing the gospel? Well, our next main point here is that Christ followers are to silence the critics by doing good works. We're to silence the critics by our good works. In 1 Peter 2.15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. First of all, we're to serve those who persecute with love and nonviolence. We're to serve those who persecute with love and not violence. You and I can stop the antagonism on Christians when we live holy lives, when we love those who persecute us. They're attempting to draw us in for a fight, to discredit us and get us down to their level. The problem is that too many times, and I'm guilty of this too, we fall prey to those traps. Mahatma Gandhi, who was a Hindu reformer, uh, brought uh, India out of uh, British colonization, said this as he studied Christianity, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. They weren't living out what God intended for them to do, to be the example that God intended for them to be. Notice the word in verse 15, the word silence, to restrain to muzzle or to make speechless. The idea here is gagging someone. Then when we do good works, it causes them to be quiet. It talks about those who are ignorant, describing the willful and the hostile rejectors of the truth, the foolish, those who are a settled lack of spiritual perception, senseless, they don't have any reason. It may express a lack of mental sanity to the extreme. I think it's interesting that Paul said at one time to the people that he was talking to in Titus chapter 3, that one time you were just like this, but you were redeemed from it. Titus 3, 1 says, Titus chapter 3, verse 3 says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice, which is hatred and envy, hated by others and hating one another. What a contrast. What a godly citizen should look like in this culture. And then talking about standing on our convictions when they are challenged. Standing on our convictions when they are challenged. Godly character qualities lived out in the life of a Christ follower ultimately will muzzle the critics. Holy living and being good citizens of the country you live in is necessary to enable the saving power of the gospel to spread. People oftentimes look to see if we walk the talk, if what we say matches our lives, and if so, even if they disagree with us, they can respect us because we're doing what we believe. As Christians, we must exercise discernment in our relationship to the human government. As we said earlier, there are times when the right thing is to set aside our own privileges, and there are other times when using our citizenship is the right thing. Paul wasn't afraid to suffer for the gospel, and he, when he went to, to Philippi in Acts chapter 16, he was arrested with Silas, he was beaten, he was put in the stocks, he was singing hymns through the night, and you know the story of the Philippian jailer, coming along. But interestingly, the next morning, when they were back in the prison and they 
Roman officials came to take Paul and to shoo him out of town quietly, he piped up and he said, I am a Roman citizen. And they, and they said, well, was it because you were born that way or did you buy it? And he says, I was born that way. And it says in Acts 16 that those authorities shuddered because they did not give Paul a fair trial and a fair hearing. There are times, even in the midst of persecution, it's right to declare your citizenship and your rights. So the application here is that we obey those in authority who even persecute Christ followers until they would violate the word of God. That's our standard. That's our commitment. That's what we follow. And our last point today is this. Christ followers are to live as servants of God. You and I, we're to live as servants of God if we know Christ as our Savior. Look at the last two verses we'll look at today in 1 Peter 2, 16 through 17. Peter says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. If Christians are to maintain their credibility among unbelievers, they have to have the right attitude when they act as free men. When they come to faith in Christ, they are free from condemnation, free from the law of the Old Testament, free from Satan's bondage and control of their life, and free from the power of death, that we get eternal life. Peter says here that we're to be careful not to use our freedom as a covering or an excuse to do evil. We're wrong when we use our freedom to disrespect those in authority. Evil here means baseness, showing vengeance, being bitter, hostile, or disobedient. You and I, we're to use our freedom to live as servants of God. Free from the bondage of sin, but surrendered to Christ. This word here means the lowest level of slave in the Greco-Roman world at this time. Paul used a Greek word in 1 Corinthians 4 when he talked about that he was just like the lowest galley slave. There were four levels to a ship. And he described himself as the one who was in the bottom row, who was chained to a bench, who was rowing the ship. That's the idea of being a servant of Christ, the humility that we have. Peter closes out the section of scripture with four commands that are based on the tense of the verbs. And as these verb tenses come about, their, their meaning is that we are to be constantly doing these four commands. First of all, respect well other image bearers. Respect well other image bearers. Everyone who has ever lived has been made in the image of God. I like what C.S. Lewis said, that you've never met someone who is a mortal, but everyone is immortal because their soul is going to go into eternity, but they're made in the image of God. In Genesis 1, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Slaves in this society were considered non-persons having no rights whatsoever. Paul said the opposite, that everyone is special to God because they are image bearers. Colossians 4.1, he says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven that you're going to be accountable to and how you treat that image bearer that you have uh, serving under you. There should be no discrimination due to class ethnicity, socioeconomic background, or gender, or etc. 
That does not mean as believers we condone all the conduct of these people, but that they have the right to do what they do within the law, even if it's contrary to God's word. We respect people's rights and respect who they are as part of God's creation. Another word that he uses here or, or phrase is to regard brothers and sisters in Christ as special. Regard our brothers and sisters in Christ as special. Love the brotherhood, he says. In 1 John 2, the apostle John says this, whoever says he is in the light, he's a believer in Christ, he's born again, and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. If we're a believer in Christ, Jesus said we're to love one another. That this is the mark of a Christian for those that are in the outside world to see the unity and the love that we have for one another. And when we have love for another, we choose to show grace to one another and give each other the benefit of the doubt. We choose to be patient with one another. We choose to resolve conflicts as soon as possible for the sake of unity and for the love that we have for one another. We help our brothers and sisters in need, whether that be emotional or financial or giving of our time or other ways that we can help. We show love for our brothers when we stand with one another, when someone else needs a helping hand with something. When we show the love God gives, that agape love to one another and think the best of people. The third descriptor he gives here is to rear, revere God with honor. Revere God with honor. Fear God, he says. This means that we trust God in all of our circumstances and we worship God in his sovereign rule over our time and his will for us. That means when it comes to what, he's, what is going on in our world, we rest in the fact that he is in control. I think of what's going on in Afghanistan and we've got American citizens and Afghanis who were uh, committed to the help of the military and were given the privilege to say they could be, uh, to go out and they are still there and they're trapped in that country with the Taliban. We think of gas prices going up. We think of inflation going up. We think issues at the southern border, school board unrest with parents, abortion law discussions in Texas and Mississippi with the Supreme Court Secular views contrary to God's view of gender and sexuality all over our culture. To respect those in authority, that comes from God. We have to do that and know that God knows exactly what's going on. He doesn't have a panic button. He's not worried. He is aware and he's involved in these things. The Bible Knowledge Commentary said this, one cannot truly respect people until you revere and honor God says one cannot truly respect people until you revere and honor God. Understand that they are made in the image of God. And then he says lastly, to respect the office of the leader of our country. Honor the emperor, honor the king. Peter brings us back full circle to where he started in verse 13 of this chapter. When we obey the principles taught in this brief passage of scripture, it gives genuine credibility to our faith. The writer of Proverbs sums it up well with this verse in Proverbs 24. It says, my son, fear the Lord and the king and, and do not join with those who do otherwise. And do not join 
with those who do otherwise. Here's the application. Respect, love, and honor should be our attitudes as servants alongside those we serve with and to those who are in authority over us. Submission begins with our attitude, and then it flows to the outward showing of our obedience through our actions. Respect, love, and honor should be our attitude as servants. Our key thought here is when we serve and honor those who are in authority over us, we are pleasing God, and we're confident that he will be the final judge of their hearts and actions. If you feel like you're being treated unjustly by your boss, if you feel like the teacher didn't give you the grade that you deserved. I saw a highlight of a football game, and uh, Tennessee was supposedly crossed the first down line, but the officials said no, and the replay showed he did, and well, that's the way it is. But know that God is gonna be the final judge and authority, and will balance all the books in his time. As we close today, I want to share this story, a very moving story. An example of how godly living can influence the salvation of unbelievers. It comes from events in a Japanese prison of war camp in the Philippines during World War II. There were two American missionaries there, Herb and Ruth Klingen, and their youngest son. They were there in this prison camp for three years. Herb's diary told how his family captors tortured, murdered, and starved to death many of the camp's other inmates. The prisoners particularly hated and feared the commandant of the camp. His name was Konishi. Herb described one especially diabolical plan Konishi forced on the Klingons and their fellow inmates nearing the end of World War II. From his diary, he said, Konishi found an inventive way to abuse us even more. He increased the food ration but gave us Pele, which means unhusked rice. Eating rice with its razor-sharp outer shell would cause intestinal bleeding that would kill us in hours. He had, we had no tools to remove the husks, and if we pounded the grain or we used a rolling stick to break the husks and remove the sharp pieces, that would burn up more calories than we would receive by eating and ingesting the rice. It was a death sentence for all internees. At the end of that, he said, but divine providence spread the Klingons and others in February 1945 when the Allied forces liberated the prison camp. And that prevented the commandant from shooting and killing all those who were still left in the prison. Years later, the missionaries found out that Kanishi had been found working on the grounds of a Manila golf course. And he was captured. And he was later tried for his war crimes. And he was hung for his death. The other side of the story is that just before he was hung, the Klingons found out that he had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And his quote was this. He said that he had been deeply affected by the testimony of Christian missionaries that he had persecuted and brought him to faith in Christ. Effective evangelism flows from the power of a righteous life. Let's bow for prayer. As we think about this passage today and we look into our lives, as you're there sitting in your seat and quiet before the Lord, think about some action points. What are some things that you could do to encourage those who are in authority over us? 
One would be to write a letter of encouragement to your school board members. That's what the administrator of PV School District and the superintendent of Bettendorf begged people to do, was to write a note of encouragement to school board members because of the pressure that they're facing. Maybe it's pray for your local, local legislators in our city and state. Carrie sends out our prayer sheet on Monday, and at the bottom you'll see all of our local legislators make it a point to pray for them each day this week. And get out to vote for the school board members on November 2nd. Study their backgrounds, their information, what they stand for, and pray about who to vote for, and then go out and vote. There's some practical, simple things that we can do related to this message today. Let's pray. Father, we do lift up and pray for those who are in authority over us. We're fortunate in this country that we get to go to the ballot box and, and to vote, but we know ultimately you're behind who it is who gets into leadership. Proverbs tells us that you raise those who you desire to be leaders and take down, that you desire those to be taken down. And we know the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and you turn that heart wherever you desire for it to go. Ultimately, we know that you're in charge of those in authority over us. So, Lord, help us to pray for them. Help us to treat them with respect. And, Lord, help us to do our part. Help us to find practical ways that we can encourage those people that, as Paul said, are servants of God on our behalf to be in authority over us. We pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.